Good morning. Um, this morning we're reading from Acts chapter 19, verses 23 to 41. Uproar at Ephesus. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, men, you know we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself who is worshiped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia and rushed as one man into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and do not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, thank you, uh, Diana. Uh, so I actually pre-recorded this message uh, before I went on vacation, not knowing that we were going to do Zoom, and I did it at the, ch the church and inserted the slides, and so we're actually going to go ahead and and watch that one. So it won't be exactly live, um, but uh, it'll be at the church, so that'll kind of be a nice touch. So I'm going to play that now. Well, good morning, Cornerstone Congregational Church. I'm sorry that I can't be there in person once again due to this pandemic. Uh, my family and I just went on a vacation. As I'm recording this, we're about to go on vacation uh, and need to quarantine, need to get a test when I get back. So uh, I look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. Uh, but until then, uh, thankfully we have technology and we can go ahead and record a sermon, but I do miss being there with you. Uh, let me pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for Cornerstone Congregational Church. You know, I'm here in an empty sanctuary and yet I know that uh, there will be people there on Sunday morning. Uh, and so I pray that you would bless the giving of this message right now and that you would connect it through the camera, through time and space, <laughs> 
to the congregation and those watching online uh, about a week from now, a week and a half from now. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So tonight we're in Acts 19, 23 through 41. You've just heard, I assume, Andy read the passage. Uh, and my sermon title is Economic Power. So we, were, we did a sermon on religious power, uh, kind of power part one, and now we're doing power part two, economic power. And we're at this place in the book of Acts where they talk about Ephesus and some really dramatic things that happened there. Uh, and so I want to talk, start with the quote that I, start, that I gave at the last time I, I preached on religious power. And it's this quote. It's that power is the ability to make something of the world. Power is the ability to make something of the world. And perhaps there is nowhere more clear that we see power expressed, demonstrated, controlled than through finances, through money, through the economy, uh, through wealth, through capitalism, uh, through economic systems, uh, other systems as well, socialism, communism, right? However you arrange the dollars has a huge impact on culture. And that extends down to you and me, right? However our families handle finances and money, that has a huge impact on us. And so I want us to kind of review what we saw about religious power and see how that actually kind of connects to economic power, that the two can become like intermeshed and intertwined. Because Paul first introduces kind of this theme of power, we kind of see it in the, in the book of Acts, uh, at Ephesus, right? Paul is doing ministry there. He's there for several years. And we read this in Acts chapter 19, 11 through 12. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that he had touched, that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Amazing, right? So uh, like, God is clearly using supernatural power to work through Paul at Ephesus to heal people, to, to cleanse people, to cast out demons. And there's this group of people that see that and they get hungry, right? Like power corrupts. Well, maybe corruption's also attracted to power. Uh, and we see that uh, in these seven sons of Sceva, uh, kind of like the name, like there's this scheming, skeevers, skeevas, uh, the Skeva family. Uh, these seven sons, they attempt to kind of use the name of Paul, the name of Jesus to cast out a demon, and it does not go well because they don't know Jesus. They don't really know Paul. Uh, and, uh, and they say, you know, we're going we're gonna to kind of cast you out by the name of Christ, and this is what happens. Acts 19, 15 through 16. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And then the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Like that's like a sermon gone bad, right? Uh, they fled naked and wounded. Uh, out of this home. See, the power of Satan overcame their false religious power. 
But that's not where the story ends because this thing shows the true power of Jesus, shows the true power of Paul. By their failure, they actually elevate Paul and his successes by just people just touching his, his garments and, and them being healed. It says this in verse 19, and a number of those who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. So they're so convicted. They bring out all their occult practices, all their books, all their amulets, everything. And they burn them. And it's worth 50,000 pieces of silver. That sounds like a lot of money back then, 2,000 years ago, with inflation. <laughs> and it was a lot of money. It's enough money to uh, employ 150 people full-time for an entire year. Right. So we're talking about just an, an entire company, maybe a company that you work for. There's like an office complex next to, next to my house. Like that entire company just up in flames, all the funds to pay for it for an entire year. I know many companies were hit with uh, COVID, right? Financial loss, and they could barely make it a couple of weeks before they had to start laying employees off. This is full salaries for an entire year. Do you see what's happening here? How uh, the, the religious powers have been overcome by Jesus Christ and it's messing with the economic system. And I believe that's true today for us as a people of God and our families and how we operate uh, with our finances and then also how we operate in the world and how we kind of uh, work with the economic systems that, that we're surrounded with. Maybe... Um, Growing up, so my family, my mom had was into sewing, right? And and uh, she had one of these like really cool lamps. It's like really heavy at the bottom, and then there's like this post, and it came down, and then there was like this magnifying glass. And on one half of the magnifying glass there was like this light, so you could look it through it, and then you you could everything would be magnified, and then you could turn the light on, and then it was just like super bright, right? So it's great for like knitting or sewing or or whatever. And then it, you know if you want to have fun, you can like flip it around and you can shine it in your brother's face and then their eye looks really big. It's just like a, a fun thing, right? But it, it exposes the details. It lights up the darkness. And that's what the gospel does. The, the gospel exposes the details. It exposes our hearts. It, it examines our world. And it says, this is right and this needs to be redeemed. Uh, and so what we want to do today is we want to shine the light of the gospel on <laughs> economic powers. The economic powers that you and I experience, the economic powers of this world. And we see that happening at Ephesus. See, Paul preaches the gospel and the gospel just kind of pulls back the curtain. The gospel turns on that light. The gospel shows the details. It's kind of painful for Ephesus. It results in their repentance of many, uh, the burning of books, and not like in a bad way, but in a good way. Burning occult practices books. You know, and I wonder if it'll do the same today. And how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the gospel examining your checkbook? <laughs> how do you feel about the gospel examining your credit card? your income, your retirements, your purchases, your, your Amazon order history. These things make me nervous, right? I don't want the gospel to examine 
these things because I'm comfortable. How do you feel if the gospel examines capitalism, the economic system where we live and function and do business? Does that make you nervous? The gospel's good, isn't it? The gospel has the power to change and transform, doesn't it? Anything, I believe. So let's let the gospel shine its light. If there are things that need to be changed, let's let the gospel do that. The first thing that the gospel does, the light of the gospel, is that it exposes the intermingling of false religion and money. The intermingling of false religion and money. We shouldn't be surprised. So we've read this chapter. We see that there's a riot that erupts. We shouldn't be surprised that like there's a book burning, there's a loss of money, and then Demetrius gets super upset. And there's some sort of gap there, but clearly there's this boiling resentment in the town and the city of Ephesus, especially among the silversmiths, right? Who, who, like their entire economic livelihood is dependent on false religion, right? So these pilgrims come from all over the area to come to this temple of Artemis. Now, I would go see the temple of Artemis if I lived at that time because it was apparently just amazing, right? One of the the seven wonders of the ancient world that we consider today. It was uh, at least twice the size. I saw one person said twice the size, another one said four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens. Had 127 columns that were four feet in diameter and 60 feet high. And it was painted on the outside, decorative frieze, uh, depicted scenes of the gods. And there was a statue of Artemis inside where people could pray and make offerings to her. And she was the goddess of childbearing and fertility, a good crop. So this place also functioned as a bank and a place of sacrifice. So you could bring your sacrifice, your animal, sacrifice it, and then eat a portion of it, like a restaurant, a bank and a restaurant. I don't know why they don't have banks and restaurants today, <laughs> right? There's this mingling of religion and economy because that was a place where you could go and save your money. That's a go place where you could go and deposit and, and, and feel secure. Not only is the government protecting my funds, but Artemis herself has secured my money. But then that whole economic system, if we look closer, is not safe and is not secure. And as we look out into our own world, we realize that you know, our money, our, our personhood, us as people, like we can't look to those things, our economics, our, our wallets, our bank accounts, our saving accounts, our retirement accounts, our capitalism, our socialism, our communism, whatever, whatever country you live in, under whatever economic system you're a part of, we can't look to those things for safety or security. And so these silversmiths, they get angry. They get angry because, you know, Paul's preaching this gospel and less and less people are going to come and buy these little like silver shrines that they were making and that supported their livelihoods. They just get upset and Demetrius gives this speech and then this riot happens. We're familiar with riots, aren't we? January 6th. There's a riot. There's riots happening right now. There's some tragedies 
awful things. Last summer we saw things happening. And those are terrible things and people get upset. Sometimes they get upset about money. And we see that happening in this passage today. I was trying to think of kind of an example of a Demetrius-like situation. So I went to China on a, on a trip with the Akinge Institute. And we went to the Great Wall of China. And there you could buy like uh, a magnet or a t-shirt with Chairman Mao's face on it. Right? And if you know anything about communism, it's bloody... Uh, has a bloody history under under Chairman Mao, and uh, and yet he's very greatly revered. Like his face is everywhere, and he's very honored. And so I can imagine if suddenly people just like never bought those magnets or T-shirts again, that the, maybe the government would hear about it and be upset about it. Right? And so they're upset. They. Demetrius gives this impassioned speech, verses twenty-five through twenty-seven. He says, "Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth." And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but almost in all of Asia, Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people. All of Asia? Maybe that's true. I hope it is that, that Paul's gospel message is just going out. But maybe he's exaggerating. We don't really know. Saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Well, isn't that true? If you make, uh, If you cut down a tree and you carve it into the shape of a bear and you worship that bear doesn't make that bear into a god. He's kind of defeating himself with his own logic. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but that the temple of the great god Artemis may be counted as nothing. And that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worships. You know, for being such a powerful god that the whole world worships, she sure is fragile. <laughs> and as I think about the economic systems with which we, you know, under which we operate, right? For being so powerful like the dollar, right? She, sur she sure seems fragile sometimes, up and down. And like, you know, groceries have increased during COVID, the price of groceries. We're finding that those things that we hold that we trust to keep us safe, to keep us warm, to keep us full, you know, are not as trustworthy as we thought. And so this is an opportunity to examine our own hearts. Kind of going back to that point of, you know, the gospel exposes the intermingling of false religion and money. That's what's happening right here, right? There there's this, this, this exposing that really Demetrius wasn't in this because he believed in Artemis. If he really believed in Artemis, you know, he wouldn't believe that she could just get easily overthrown by Paul and the gospel message and that he had to stick up for. See, false religion is accompanied by this use use and abuse of money or just pursuit of money, pursuit of wealth. You know, I, maybe, maybe we have someone who comes from a, a you know, the background of a different religion uh, in the service uh, uh, today. Um, 
But last time I talked about religious power, I did give the, the kind of the story of Rab, Rabbi. He was uh, an Indian guru and he, he came to faith in Christ. But one of the things that convinced him was that because a guru, he would receive all these offerings. Just people would come and just give him money. Uh, and it was usually the poorest of the poor. And it would like, he would bless them and pray for them, but then nothing would happen. They would just stay poor. Uh, and he would get wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. And there was something that said about his faith, that's wrong. That's wrong. And I don't want to just pick on a religion that I've never subscribed to. I want to pick on kind of the, the Christian community uh, in our country. <laughs> so maybe you're familiar with Instagram, right? You can go on Instagram. And if you're a college student or you have Instagram, you have my permission to look this up. Preferably after the service, but whatever. Uh, uh, you can go to Preachers in Sneakers. So the, the letter in Preachers in Sneakers. This uh, creator of this Instagram account kept noticing that he'd see these preachers, these famous American preachers, wearing really expensive sneakers. <laughs> He's like, where, uh, how are you guys getting the money to have like a new set of designer clothes every single week? So. I did bring some examples, so we, right? He questioned Stephen Furtick's choice of $965 sneakers. I mean, they look pretty interesting. I don't know if you could imagine me wearing those. I, I don't really want to wear those. Uh, not only does he, he question uh, sneakers, he questions belts. So this, this guy questioned whether or not a $450 Gucci belt really does make a better worship leader. Andy, I think you would look good in a Gucci belt. I actually don't think you would. That'd be very awkward. Uh, and then this one's particularly amazing. He asked if uh, Pastor John Gray really should wear a $5,611 pair of shoes. Guess they're called Red Octobers. They look pretty cool. Red Octobers. I wonder if I started wearing uh, these things, if you know, the, the crowds would flock. You know, uh, Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me and wear sweet sneakers while you do it too, right? It's not what Jesus calls us to do. And please don't uh, look at my CrossFit shoes anytime uh, soon. Those are probably, well, I guess I have hiking boots. Hiking boots are kind of expensive too. Right, but we can get sucked in that like religion becomes about getting money by which we can kind of satisfy our own desires. And honestly, I think that's why Christianity can get such a bad rap. That, that many people, this is their only example of Christianity. These like pastors becoming wealthy. And if you run into a friend or a coworker that that's their experience, you gotta tell them like, that's not normal. That's not like what Jesus expects of us. But honestly guys, like the, the, the economic system of like evangelical Christianity can get a little warped. So I was listening to the Holy Post podcast. You know guys, I, I love the Holy Post podcast. Um, and they talk about the evangelical industrial complex. What is that? It's kind of like the, the military industrial complex, right? It kind of feeds into itself. You can listen to this episode if you want to learn more. But essentially what they said is that like the Christian publishing industry is kind of this mechanism where, you know, it, it, it goes after big and famous pastors 
gives them a book deal simply because they have a lot of people in their church uh, and it really ignores a lot of small town pastors. And I'm, I'm not talking about me, right? Like I don't have wisdom to offer, right? But like, like uh, just pastors that are good, that have small churches, that have a lot of wisdom to offer, who have been faithful in their contexts, doesn't go for those. It always goes for the big pastors. And I don't want to say the word always, but kind of uh, generally. Uh, and they told the story of this one woman who had uh, a, a famous pastor, Mark Driscoll, on her radio station. Uh, and this was before Mark Driscoll fell from, from favor. And on the radio station, she had been reading, she'd read his book and she found that like, you know, 11 pages or something were just plagiarized. This is this evangelical megachurch pastor and she asked him about it point blank on the show. And, and then afterwards, her her radio station told her to apologize. <laughs> so it's like, wait a second, he plagiarized, but now I'm gonna apologize? Uh, and part of it was because that radio station and the publishing company had kind of intermixed, right? And they, they had a business deal, a business partnership, right? So they, they couldn't afford to lose this, this book, this, 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 uh, this author, right? And that, there's kind of like this loss of integrity, right? Like these, these partnerships can work if there's integrity, but suddenly money became more important than Christ. And it's interesting knowing that story, but are there times when we get tempted to do things similar? Like we need to examine those idols kind of, you know, that we as the Christian community support unintentionally sometimes. I like buying Christian books. <laughs> I, I read many of them. Uh, but just being aware that these things exist, right? And that idols can be created. And yet the, the gospel comes along and shines a light on that and exposes the intermingling of, of false religion and money because, you know, money can pervert a good thing, right? Money in itself is not bad, but it can pervert our relationships, distort them. Now, the gospel also comes along and exposes the heart's love of wealth. So Demetrius, he finishes his speech. The people get enraged. <laughs> uh, there's nothing to tick you off like talking about personal finances, right? When they heard this, they were enraged. And they were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus and the Macedonians who were Paul's uh, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. I don't think this is actually that hard to believe or imagine. I mean, if you've ever been to like a Westford town meeting, <laughs> people get upset. People get mean. This crowd rushes in. Probably twenty thousand people fill that stadium. Paul wants to go in and to address them, and even like the people inside who aren't don't really know Paul all that well, sort of his like friends, but aren't believers. They're like, don't come in. Probably would have lost his life. There was a lot of confusion. Verse 32, now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander whom the Jews had put forward and Alexander motioned with his hand, wanting to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, <laughs> right? They recognize he's Jewish and that he believes in one God. 
So they don't want to hear from him. Do you see what the gospel has done, though? It has challenged the entire economic system. It has turned the city upside down. It has exposed the people's love of wealth, right? that they're willing to endanger others in order to protect their wealth. We never do that, right? As a nation, under our current economic system, we're never willing to endanger others to protect our wealth, are we? Well, they sure are. It reminds me of what Jesus said. He said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, what God wants to do is to root out our idols. Root out our idols, whether it is the love of money or what money can buy, or even the trust we place in an economic system to support and safeguard us. See, most of us don't worship idols, but idols are those things we go to for safety and security. So our idols, you know, generally, maybe it's a sports team, right? Because you spend too much time watching sports. But generally, it's those things that we look to for, for safety. What am I going to look to to keep me safe? Generally, we, we look to things like politicians. We look to governments. We look to economic decisions and, and systems. Those are the things that we put our trust in to keep us safe. Those are the things that can become idolatrous very quickly and we never really realize it because well, we're just, we're just going about life in America, life in this system. So we need to be careful. As Christians, we're called to examine our hearts, to let the gospel examine our hearts. See, the gospel gives us, the light of the gospel gives us an entirely new economic system. At the end of the chapter, the town clerk gets up and he, and, he, and, he, and he gives a speech that quiets down the crowd. He makes four points. He says, you know, Artemis is a great goddess. We don't need to worry about her. <laughs> Number two, the, the Christians have not been sacrilegious or blasphemed Artemis. So why are you rioting? Number three, Demetrius and his crew can go to the courts and make their case. Number four, if you cause a riot and Rome shows up here... <laughs> Like, there's going to be more problems down the road for us. There's going to be more to pay. And so that kind of disperses the crowd, and they go away. But I imagine many of the people that were there were like, you know, is this what we're about? Is this what we're about? Maybe God used that to kind of expose their hearts. You know, as I think about January 6th and the things that kind of caused us to riot, by us, I mean people who claim to be Christians, right? Is it because we were putting our hearts, uh, kind of trusting things that we should not have been trusting, looking to things that we should not have been looking to? And the call is not to beat ourselves up. The call is not to condemn ourselves, but to remember the gospel, right? And the gospel says, you are loved. You're loved no matter what has happened to your heart, no matter what makes you upset or, or what you've been placing your trust in, you are loved by God, and yet God's Son, Jesus Christ, had to die on the cross for your sins. <laughs> so the gospel is honest about our shortcomings. It's honest about our failures. And yet it reminds us, like, 
we're loved. Yeah, you're bad enough that Jesus had to die for you, but you're loved enough that Jesus died for you. <laughs> and he rose again. So you can be forgiven and experience grace. And so, you know, if our hearts are dependent on our checkbooks or you know, bank accounts or, you know, our cryptocurrency or our uh, you know, credit cards uh, or, you know, the financial system within which we live, we need to turn to God. One of the really interesting things I, I learned in our Akengay program, we read this book called Redeeming Capitalism. Uh, is that capitalism, uh, traditional capitalism, was driven uh, by self-interest, but self-interest that was also um, that also cared about others. Uh, it was defined as a willingness to do something of value for others while also securing the benefit for ourselves. In other words, yes, I'm pursuing something that's going to help me, but also going to lift up those around me. Kind of like the ocean will rise, right? The tide, when the tide comes in, the, all boats rise. But now we live under postmodern capitalism. Right? Postmodernism is this thought that, like there is no absolute truth and I can kind of just do whatever is good for me. <laughs> all right? And when we, when we take kind of that, 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 that self-interest drive and we separate it, from love, hope, faith, when we separate it from virtue, and then we get just complete breakdown. We get greed. We get CEOs who make a hundred times more than their average employee. We get people that you know, uh, companies that make a decision that, you know what, we're going to invest in this product. We know it's bad for our community. We know it's bad for society, but man, someone's going to make money off it. So we're going to be the ones to do it. Right. You get a system that doesn't care about the common good anymore. Doesn't care about human flourishing. Now I am no economist. I am no uh, business professional, but I think the Bible and the gospel does critique a love of money, right? It critiques, it critiques any economic system divorce of virtue. And if that's what we're living in today as Christians, then we need to talk about how, how can we redeem the systems that we're a part of, right? Like I can't fix capitalism and you can't either, but I can look at my family's wallet, my family's finances, and I can make sure that we're not functioning in a postmodern way, right? We're trying to, let the light of the gospel be shining forth from our checkbooks and our wallets and the things that we do with them. That we're going to love others sacrificially. That we're going to give uh, even when it hurts. You know, that's one of the reasons we give things like tithes and offerings at a, at a church. Because it reorients the way that we think about money. You know, the Bible says where your uh, treasure is there, your heart is also. So where my treasure is, there my heart is also. And if my treasure is just in the things I love and want and in me, 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 then that's where my heart's going to be. And God just wants to come along and just kind of uh, take our grip off those things and, and reorient, reorient our hearts to him and his kingdom and what work he wants to do in the world. 
So the light of the gospel does three, three things. It exposes the intermingling of false religion and money, exposes the heart's love of wealth, and gives us an entirely new economic system. Right? As the church, we have a, a system uh, of giving and helping others and, and being generous uh, and doing things out of love for one another instead of self-interest. Uh, and then as we go out into the world, we try to, to model that and to, and to produce redemption, right? To redeem. So that's my message for today. Uh, I'll be curious to know what you guys think about it. I welcome thoughts. I welcome feedback. Uh, and we can talk about it more. So I love you guys. I missed you guys. And I guess I'm at home now. We can have from now. So happy to talk with anyone on the phone or FaceTime. But uh, let me pray. Lord, would you bless Cornerstone Congregational Church gathered and scattered uh, this morning? If we have any visitors, Lord, thank you that they came. Um, and uh, just thank you for the church community that you are creating, that you are rewiring the way that we think about money in our world. Lord, would we be people that uh, bring virtue into our to our financial transactions, but even more than that, would we demonstrate the gospel in the way that we talk about money and handle money? And this isn't easy, Lord. Would you help us do it? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.